And when this series ends next week, I'm going to miss that video. <laughs> That's a really, really good video. You know, we hope you folks have been enjoying this series as much as we've been enjoying preaching it. Because when we get on this side of it and we get to prepare and we get to come and, and, and share with you what we've learned, this series has been really unique as far as how much we've enjoyed. I hope you have as well. I want to start today with a confession. I admire strength. So much, you could maybe call me a strengthaholic if you wanted to. Okay, that's, that's how much I want to be strong. That's how much I want to be seen as strong. And to be really honest, be admired as strong. Uh, I grew up in a family of four boys. There was wrestling going on nonstop. Me and my little brother all the time, I won every single time. That was the best part of it. But I wanted to prove my strength because strength matters to me. I think it matters to us also as a culture. Uh, I, I watch sports, and sports are popular because they are a test of strength. There's a, there's a game going on tonight, right? You might have heard about it. It was in all the papers. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a big game, and there's going to be very big, very strong people duking it out on a football field in front of a national TV audience, and the strongest ones are going to win. In a couple of weeks, the, uh, next weekend, the Olympics start, and, and we're going to admire people who are strong and strong for a long period of time. You know, I'm a, I'm a basketball player, and I, I like to watch all kinds of sports, but basketball is probably one of my favorite sports to watch. You'll need to advance the slides, guys. Uh, here's a picture of me back in my basketball days. What? You don't think I could do that? Yeah, I'll let you guess which one I am. All right, somebody asked which one was me. Yeah, thanks. Now, this is, this is one of the most famous blocked dunks in the history of the National Basketball Association. It happened in the NBA Finals a couple of years ago. LeBron James blocking this guy's slam dunk. I, that's, I love that play because it's one guy saying, you're not going to do this. Other guy saying, yes, I am. And it's literally mano a mano. I mean, how could you describe that any other way? The strongest will win. And it's a big risk because the guy trying to block it could get his arm broken. All right? If the other guy wins, it's going to go over the rim. It, it can get really ugly. This is the kind of play that gets people up out of their seats in a stadium because it's strength against strength. And we admire strength. Strong people make a lot of money doing stuff like that. Now, when you turn to God's Word, you find out that God looks at these things a little bit differently than we do. That shouldn't surprise us because God does that in a lot of areas. He says things that go so against our grain... So against our, our, our culture, so against the way we think. For instance, he says, love your enemies. Who loves their enemies? As I, humanly speaking, that's kind of crazy. What, what about pray for people who persecute you? Okay, seriously? You want me to pray for the people? Oh, oh Jesus modeled it, right? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He says the last will be first. He says the, the leaders will be servants. All of these things that kind of twist our brains sideways. So it shouldn't surprise us that on the topic of strength, he also comes at it a little bit sideways. In the passage we'll look at today, we're going to read that God wants us, through the Apostle Paul, he teaches us this, to boast about our weaknesses. How strange is that? Would anyone watch on TV the world's weakest man competition? All right, going, oh, I can't do it. You know, hey, you win. You know, <laughs> No one. That wouldn't sell, nobody would sponsor it, and nobody would watch it, because we don't admire weakness, but this passage we're going to look at, we see that Paul says, I will boast about my weaknesses. Let me give you the context of it. Uh, he's writing a letter to one of the churches that he had started years earlier. Uh, and you might be aware, if you study the New Testament, that often when Paul would go into a town around the Mediterranean, and he would preach the gospel, and people would come to Jesus... Then he would form them into a church and he would move on somewhere else. He didn't stay long anywhere. 
And people would sometimes come in on his heels and begin undermining both his teaching and his authority. They raised questions about him. That Paul guy, who is he anyway? Are you sure he's legit? Can you trust what he said to you? And they would do that in a way to, to kind of establish their own authority and kind of try to take over the movement. So he occasionally, as he wrote letters back to those churches, he had to defend himself against these charges that he wasn't a true apostle. He wasn't really representing the message of God, and he had to do that fairly regularly. In this letter to the Corinthians, the second of the, of the two we have in Scripture, in chapter 11, he begins addressing this issue because he'd heard that this problem had occurred, and people were starting to wonder, is Paul legit? So he needs to establish his bona fides in chapter 11, but he does it in a way you and I probably wouldn't. I mean, if it were me, and I wanted people to trust me and listen to me and, and, and pay attention to I wanted to be credible in their eyes, I would start listing the successes of my life. Here's why you should pay attention to me. Here's what happened here. Here's what I did there. We don't put our failures on our resume, right? We put our successes. And Paul's resume to this church isn't what you and I would have written. In fact, in chapter 11, he starts going through how much he suffered time after time after time. How often he was the victim of circumstances beyond his control. How often things went south in his life and in his ministry. And it's an odd way to gain credibility, isn't it? But he gives a hint of what's to come at the very end of chapter 11 when he says something really unique. He says, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Okay, already we're scratching our heads. Already we're saying, what a strange way to defend yourself to these people who are wondering about you. And then chapter 12 begins, and he does shift gears, and he talks in a kind of uh, mysterious way about a vision he had that God gave him of heaven. But he made it really clear that God told him, you can't talk about it. You can't tell anybody what I'm showing you. And we're not sure why God put that restriction on him. He didn't put it on the Apostle John years later. That's why we have the book of Revelation. Uh, Write it down, John. Write it down. But to Paul, in this case, God said, no, that's just for me and you. I kind of like that, to be honest. I've had moments that I've learned things about God that I really sensed weren't meant to be passed on. This one's for me and him, and that's okay. But that's what this vision was. And Paul recognizes right away, because God knew right away, there's a trap when God chooses you to reveal this kind of amazing stuff to you. Because now that he'd seen heaven, now that he'd heard from God what heaven was going to be like, he was vulnerable to the temptation of pride, of saying, I must be somebody special because look what God allowed me to see. Look what God let me experience. And that's where we get to the passage we're going to read today. And, and the, the text we're going, to, we're going to look at will teach us this principle. Next slide, if you would. In God's system, true strength comes from the admission of weakness. God, that seems so bizarre to us, but we trust it because you say it. We ask that you'd help us understand it today, and most of all, help us to live it. Would you speak? Because we're here listening. In Christ's name, amen. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, makes very clear, first of all, that God values weakness in ways you and I would find a little bit strange. Let's read just verse 7, first of all. He says, therefore... In order to keep me from becoming conceited, in light of, verse 6 says, the amazing revelations God gave me, to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. The problem here is his tendency toward pride. 
as we already said. It would be a natural problem for him, as it would be for any of us, I'm sure, to tell people the next day, what did you do yesterday? (laughs) Me, I I went to heaven. I can't tell you about it, (laughs) because that's between me and God. You know, there's all these, these temptations he would have fallen into, and God knew that as well, and God's concern was that Paul be kept from being conceited. That's what it says. In order to keep me from becoming conceited, we would all have that problem. The, the, the solution from God's perspective was to give him the famous thorn in the flesh. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now let's recognize there's things we know about this thorn in the flesh and there's things that we don't know. What we know is this, it was a messenger from Satan, but used by God. Now, we don't have time to to unpack all the ramifications of that, okay? Let's just recognize that if you are so in charge that you're able to use your enemy to accomplish your goals, that's pretty cool. And that's God. The word we use is sovereign. We talk about his sovereignty. Yes, Satan opposes him. Satan resists him. We see it all through the Gospels as Satan goes head to head with Jesus. But please, let's not fall into the trap of, of picturing this battle like a boxing match where God's in one corner and Satan's in the other corner and they're going to duke it. No, that's nothing like that. God wins, folks. There's no doubt who's stronger. There's no doubt who. Satan is a creature. God is the creator. They're not on equal footing at all. And God is so in charge that he can even use Satan's rebellion to accomplish God's purposes. I hope that lets us rest a little bit and picture the universe more accurately. Now, God takes this messenger from Satan, uses it as something unpleasant and painful. That's obvious. Something Paul would rather not have to experience. When I think of thorn in the flesh, uh, I, I picture a few years ago I was decorating for Christmas in our previous house and I use these little tiny fiberglass sticks to line the driveway and plant and put Christmas lights all along it. I didn't realize until about halfway through the project that those little fiberglass rods had little fiberglass splinters that wound up embedded in my skin, but they were so small I couldn't see them. You ever had those things? Yeah, with lots of nodding heads. Yeah, it's not fun. For the rest, next week, anytime I brushed that finger, it felt like an electric jolt going through my skin. When I read Thorn in the Flesh, that's what I picture. Something unpleasant, something if you had a chance you would remove, something that you don't want to experience, something that makes you suffer. And because God gave him that so he wouldn't be conceited, it leads to this conclusion. God would rather we suffer than be proud. Let that sink in. God would rather we suffer than be proud. Because pride is the worst. Pride is God's enemy. Pride is the root of all kinds of sin and rebellion. Pride says, I'm in charge and you're not. And God is so concerned about our pride that he says, God resists the proud and gives his grace to the humble. And this verse, I would rather you suffer than be proud. That tells you where that humility and and pride are on God's priority list. Now, those are things we do know about the thorn in the flesh. What don't we know? I don't know what it is. We get no more detail than this. All kinds of people have guessed over the years. Some think it maybe was the persecutions he mentioned in chapter 11. Some think it's the false teachers that he's trying to to combat through this whole section. People coming in behind him and and saying things that aren't true to the people that he loved and brought to Christ. Uh, Some think it's some kind of speech problem like Moses had. We don't really know. If I had to guess, if you pinned me down, I would think he had some kind of an eye problem, a chronic eye problem. 
Because we get a hint in the book of Galatians, another letter to the, some of the churches he planted. He says to them in chapter 4 of that book, he says, I came to you in a time of bodily illness. That's how God opened the door so I could speak to you about Jesus. And in that context, he says, I know you love me so much that if you could, you'd yank your own eye out and give it to me. That would make us think maybe the problem was something with his eyesight. Plus, at the end of Galatians, there's a really mysterious phrase that doesn't make sense unless you realize that Paul tended to dictate his letters through a secretary. It's called an amanuensis. And that in order to prove the letter was legit, at the end, he would sometimes sign it in his own hand. And at the end of Galatians chapter 6, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. See how big these letters are. If he had a bad eyesight, he would be writing big. So, okay, I'll... I don't know. I'm not going to plant my flag on this idea. If you've got another theory, I'm wide open to it. But who really cares, right? Because all that matters is we know he had something in his life, probably in his body, a thorn in the flesh is what it says, and and it caused suffering and pain. And he had a reaction to it, a very natural expected reaction. The same one, in fact, you and I would have. Look at the next verse, verse 8. Three times I pleaded, not asked, not prayed, pleaded. Listen to the language there. I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now we're starting to get to the meat of the issue. What happens here? Well, he has a natural reaction. God, I hate this. I don't like thorns in my flesh. Nobody does. I will remove it if I can. I can't, so you need to, please. And God says, no, It stays, and I want you to learn to lean on me. I want you to learn that my grace is enough. I want you to learn that when you're weak, my power becomes that much clearer to you and that much more obviously needed by you. So for your sake, Paul, I'm leaving it there, even though you want me to take it away, because my power is made perfect in weakness. Not once, not twice, three times. God said no. You wrestle sometimes with God saying no to your prayers? Are you afraid it means he's not in control? Well, you know, sometimes it means he's very much in control. He doesn't doesn't want what you want. He's allowed to say no. He's God. (laughs) That comes with the territory. All right, so now this realization that God had a goal for this thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, God had a purpose in it. God was going to use it, caused him to flip 180 on how he would look at it. Look at the next verse. Therefore, having learned all this, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. There's that phrase again. How weird is that? So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, read this last with me, then I am strong. That's the message of the whole passage. That's what he's trying to get across to the people he's writing to. That's what he's trying to get across to us now, 2,000 years later. He changes his perspective from something I don't want in my life, and I pray, take it away. Now he says, I boast in it, and I delight in it. Not because it's good to hurt, but he says, that's when I find Christ's power. Christ's power rests on me when I recognize and know how weak I am. And sometimes God gets me to that point on purpose so that I can recognize the power needs to come from Christ, not from me. And when I rest in that and I acknowledge it, I become strong. 
The Apostle Paul is not the first person in the Bible to learn this lesson. King David wrote often in the Psalms, other psalmists as well, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him. That's just, you find that in the Psalms constantly. There's another passage I want to read aloud. I'm not going to have you turn to it. I just want you to hear it. It might be familiar to many of you as I begin reading these words, but just close your eyes and relax and hear what this passage has to say. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths may grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not get tired. They'll walk and not become weary. Isn't that beautiful? Paul knew what Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 40, had written. He learned it from his own experience. That that strength comes from God, not from ourselves. The, the, the ability to do what he's asking of us isn't inbred in us. And the end result is, he could say, when I am weak, then I am strong. I loved one quote I read from a commentary as I studied this, uh, this passage. I'll throw the next slide up if you would. This is from a long-named commentary. You can read it down there. Here it is. The Lord has more need of our weakness than of our strength. Our weakness is often his rival. Our, I'm sorry, our strength is often his rival, our weakness his servant. Drawing on his resources and showing forth his glory. It makes sense, doesn't it? Our strength is his rival. Because when I feel strong enough to do stuff for him, I'm more tempted to go, Lord, you go help somebody who needs it. I got this. I can do this. I'm good enough for this. I'm strong enough for this. Go help the weak people. And if that were to happen, it doesn't, but if that were to happen and we were able to succeed, we'd be very tempted to say, oh, look what I did. And that temptation to pride that Paul referred to is true in all of us, isn't it? And we'd be much more likely to say, well, God sure is lucky to have me. He's lucky that I bring my strength to the table. And God is so concerned that we not fall into that trap. He was with Paul. He is with us. That he says, you know, you need to know it's my strength. You need to know it's my power. And the best way to do that is to see how weak you are. And that when you are weak, then you are strong. Now, as good as this sounds, we have to recognize, friends, it's not automatic. There are people in the Bible who, who didn't do as well as Paul did here. Let's go to the next slide. You see, there is a possibility, if we're not careful, that we'd fall into the temptation of when I'm strong, then I'm weak, like I just mentioned. Oh, Lord, I, I got this. Well, there was a guy in the Bible who was confident like that. Right before his crucifixion, Jesus predicted that his disciples were going to abandon him, and Peter stepped up. Why? Because Peter's strong. And he was the first one to speak, and he says, Lord, even if everybody else abandons you, I will stay with you. I'll even die with you. And within hours, that same man was saying about Jesus, I, I don't know that guy. I, I, no, no, I have no clue. See, he thought he was strong. In reality, he was weak. His strength was masking his weakness and actually kept him 
from receiving the strength from God that he needed. Then there's other examples in Scripture of people saying, when I'm weak, then I'm weak. Come with me back to the book of Numbers, Old Testament, people of Israel. They'd seen God do miracle after miracle as he got them out of Egypt and they crossed the desert and he fed them with manna and he fed them with quail and he got water out of a rock and he got them to the mountain and he gave them the law and the Ten Commandments and they get to the edge of this promised land and they send in 12 spies to kind of go check things out. How's it look in there? Ten of the 12 came back and said, oh, we can't do this. Those people are big. Those, those, those walls around those cities are thick. This, this is a scary place. It's very, very scary. <laughs> and there's no way we could possibly win because these people, they didn't stop and think, wait a minute, those people are big and those walls are thick, but our God is bigger and our God is thicker. They knew they were weak, but they didn't take the next step to turn to God and say, we need your strength. So they wound up weak and cowering in front of what God was asking of them. And then there's the positive example of Paul. And number three, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. That's not automatic. That happens when you recognize, okay, Lord, you've made me know how weak I am. So I can look to you for strength. So I can turn to you and plead. So I can ask you to show me and, and, and equip me and build me and strengthen me. So when it's done, you get the credit and not me. There's a couple times in my life I can remember when God really impressed on me how weak I was. I remember holding my newborn daughter, first, firstborn at the hospital in France. She was born in France. Holding her saying, are you kidding? Me? This is mine? I'm responsible for this human being? It was terrifying. And I felt so inadequate to the task. And if, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. And that drives us to our knees. And it will for years, saying, God, help. And God says, I'm glad you know you need help. Another time was when he, we were in France, we went on to Africa, and we were throwing ourselves into this complicated, difficult, challenging cultural difference, all kinds of issues in Africa that I was clueless about. And early on in my, in my time, as we were getting ready to be missionaries, I remember calling the boss in Chicago and saying, tell me again why you hired me. Because I don't see anything in me that could do what you're asking me to do. And then and they reassured me. And then we, we got to Africa and I felt the same way again. Why do people think I can do this? What do people see in me that make, that make them think this is possible? And again, that's a safe place to be. Because that's a person who says, God help. SOS. I don't have what it takes. And he says, I'm so glad you know that. Now, let's go do some pretty cool stuff. He, he, he makes it safe for him to step in because the weak Christian has little temptation to personal pride. It's not that it's gone, but it's diminished. It has little temptation to personal pride. The weak Christian knows what is missing and knows where to get it. The weak Christian is the first to turn to God for strength. And that's why the weak Christian can say, when I'm weak, then I am strong. So there's freedom in this, friends. There's freedom to not have to pretend that we've got it together, that we're stronger than the other people, that we can handle it when they can't. We don't have to put on a, a mask and, and pretend we're stronger than we are. We can live in weakness and even boast about it, like Paul said. So the last slide will show us some areas where we can do that. 
I'm weak. This is personal now. I'm weak in the face of what is within me. There is within me a drive to do things that God doesn't like. It's called the flesh. It's called the sin nature. There's all kinds of words for it. And we fight it all the time. I've already mentioned I'm a sports fan, and for many years I received the Sports Illustrated magazine. It came every week to my house with amazing articles. But there is one issue every year that is a problem for a Christian guy. The infamous Sports Illustrated what? Swimsuit edition. Okay, well, how am I going to handle this? Do I pretend I'm strong enough to have that magazine sitting around my living room? I would be foolish. I'm not. So we figured something out in my home. I turned to my wife and my daughter said, hey, uh, could you guys help me with this? And so they had a first shot at that magazine. And some pages they just ripped out and threw away. But they wanted to have some fun, so they got some Sharpies. <laughs> and they brainstormed. Uh, what clothes should we add to this young lady? You know, and there'd be a t-shirt and pants and, and maybe a pantsuit on this lady over here and put that. She would look good with chest hair. And so they would draw chest hair, <laughs> armpit hair, blackout teeth. <laughs> All right. Believe me, by the time I, it got to me, there was nothing whatever tempting about the family-approved version of the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. <laughs> See, we could do that, and it was even kind of fun because why pretend why, why put on a mask? Why not say, no, there's something in me that would go there a lot. I don't want that in me to win, so help. You know, there's a, when I say, I, when I know I'm weak in the face of what is within me, then I can be strong. We all can. When we know we're weak in the face of what surrounds us, then we can be strong too. There was a time uh, in, in my life several years ago that I was one crisis away from burnout for many weeks. We'd lost three family members uh, in four months. My mother-in-law, my dad, my brother all died in, in four months. And I was in a role at the church we were serving at the time that I had an increased role in responsibility. So I was carrying more and I had fewer resources. And I was at the end of my rope, wondering how am I going to walk this? Because sometimes in the face of what is around us, we're weak. Well, let's not pretend we're not. We don't have to. It's okay to be weak. It's even safer to be weak because then God says, okay, now I can help you. In the face of what God asks of us, we're weak. And when we recognize that, we recognize left to myself, I am not up to the task. There's nothing in me, God, that would help me be the person you want me to be. No, that, that doesn't describe me. Well, now we're in a safe place, all right? What is God asking of you that seems beyond your ability? Now, a few months ago, we did a series here that we, we realized what God's asking of the people of Heights is that we individually be humble and thirsty and peace-seeking and life-giving people. Isn't that a daunting list? Any of you cringe a little bit at that? Humble people? Yeah, that's a, a great goal. I want to be humble. And yet I can't wait to hear you tell me whether you love this sermon or not. <laughs> there I am, out there. Okay, there's pride here. And, and I wrestle with it and, and we struggle with it, okay? Thirsty, yeah, there's days I, I can't wait for that next moment with God. There's other days I just, I just don't care. I just float, I just coast. All right, peace-seeking? Now, there's days I'm revenge-seeking, okay? I want to get back at those people who did this or did that or whatever. I, 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 want to, I want to lash out. 
And life-giving? Let's face it, I'm sometimes (laughs) life-sucking. Okay? I I don't want to pretend that this, this describes me every day. That would be an unsafe place for us to be. So when we can relax and rest and say, you know, God's got a real high bar. And left to myself, I'm not close to getting there. That's a safe place to be. A safe place to be as individuals. And what about as a church? Obviously, we're studying this series because we believe God's calling us as a congregation to some new things. Some daunting tasks. Are we, yeah, and we want us to shoot our hands up in the air and say, so will I. I have faith. I want to be a, a, a beacon of grace. I, I want to do all these things. But we can't fall into the trap of saying, we got this. Because we also need to say, God, if we are able to step up to what you have for us, it's going to be because your strength shows up. It's going to be because you guide us and you feed us and you equip us and you strengthen us to do something we never would think we could do without you. And when we are in that place, as an individual or as a congregation, when we are there, we are safe. Because we can say that we're ready to allow our weakness to do its God-given duty in us. To be content and even delight in those weaknesses. To be ready to say, I find my source of strength in God himself. And if that's the case, when that's the case, we can say, like Paul did, like the Holy Spirit is drawing us to say today, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Let's pray. Lord, this twists our brain around and we admit it. But we thank you that you twist our brain around because our brains are wrong. And you're right. We acknowledge it. We thank you for it. We ask you to, to impress that on us, weak people, that we'd find our strength in you, and that because of that strength, you would do amazing things in us and through us. And when that happens, Lord, would you remind us that you get all the glory for it? We can't wait to praise you for those things. And all of God's weak servants said, Amen. Amen.